Hi and welcome to the Mount Hamilton Baptist Church podcast. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. For more information, go to mhbc.ca. And I'm going to start by telling you a little story of something that happened to me a few weeks ago, and maybe something similar has happened to you. I was sitting in McDonald's, peacefully enjoying my junior chicken, when a gentleman came over and handed me a small booklet, and he said, you need this. So I took it, and I looked at it, and on the front it said, are you prepared to die? And I handed it back and said, no, thank you. And then he said, no, 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 you need this. And he handed it to me again, and I said, some of you know me, no, thank you. And he said, no, you need it, and he left it on the table. And, and then I looked at it, and probably some of you can guess what it was. It's what we call a tract. And it's what some Christians give out as a way of helping people learn about God, in their opinion. And so it gives you as some kind of summary of how you become a Christian, or a particular understanding of the gospel, or what have you. And as I looked at this tract, I was so irritated. I was irritated by this line, you need this. My friends, I'm a Christian. Funny enough, I'm a pastor. It was a Sunday, I'd just come from preaching at church. And I thought, how dare this man assume what I believe, right? How, what made him look at me and decide, no, 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 you need this. You don't know this. It irritated me. Maybe it wouldn't have irritated you. It didn't irritate my husband. It irritated me. <laughs> Shocker. I think what bothered me is that I found myself thinking, wow, if this kind of gets my goat a bit, how does it feel if you don't believe and someone would have the audacity to say, you need this. I know what you need, right? Now, the reason I start with this story is because of what we're going to talk about today. At the beginning, I shared that we're talking about spiritual gifts. And this is a verse in the Bible which has, we've been using to help learn, reminding us about the different ways God has made us. It says, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. We've been remembering important parts of this verse, that it's God who's made us in a certain way, and that God has made us to use these gifts and made us differently. And so far, we've talked about actually four of those, and we've used a hand to remind ourselves what they mean. So you'll see the hand here again. And it talks, it'll come. If not, I'll just use my hand. And we've talked about how the first one, uh, well, the first one we see in our hand is the thumb, which is the apostle, and apostles govern. They're forerunners, they lay groundwork, they're starters. And you can hear all these sermons on our website. The prophets point, they guide. They point us to God's truth. The pastors, or shepherds, because we're not just talking about what I do, but people with a gift of shepherding, they guard. This is the ring finger, and it reminds us of how they look after others. The teachers ground. They keep us balanced in truth. And today we're talking about the tallest finger. (laughs) I'm going to ask apologies if I inadvertently only hold up that finger at any point in the service which is the tallest and evangelists gather. This finger is the first to reach out and bring in. But the reason I started with that story is because when I say we're talking about evangelists, it might make some of us a bit nervous because that might be what we think about. We think of strangers accosting people in McDonald's. I watched them go around to a whole bunch of people and do this. 
making people collectively uncomfortable. Maybe we think of someone like that, or maybe we think of these guys, right? Or this guy, or someone like this, like going door to door, right? Here we are to tell you the truth. Or maybe something even more uncomfortable like this, the sandwich boards, the yelling on the street corners, things that we often equate when someone says evangelists. Maybe you don't think of those things. I know that sometimes I do. And so for some of us, the word evangelist makes us nervous. We might be uncomfortable to think that there's evangelists. We might think that they shouldn't use that gift. Or for an evangelist, we might want to be like, I don't really think I have that because I'm not that. Or I don't want to be it because I don't want to be that. But today my hope is that we can see that our evangelists are so important and what a gift they are to the church and that we can appreciate our evangelists for exactly how and why God has made them. The word evangelist in its original language literally means messenger of good news. That's nice. Messenger of good news. So here's what evangelists do. They gather. Evangelists bring the good news to others. And what we mean by the good news is the message that Jesus loves us, has died for us, and has risen from the dead, and we can all know him. They also create an invitational culture. And so what I mean by that, that might seem a little vague, is they create spaces where people can hear that good news. They are concerned about making space for people to feel welcomed and cared for and where they can hear in a way they'll understand. To use the image of the body of Christ, which I've already talked about today, evangelists are our legs. They go, right? They go out. And they're our arms. They bring in and hopefully they hug and gather. Evangelists are really important. And Jesus, we've talked about how Jesus has all of these gifts. He's all these things, and then Jesus gives them to us. And this is a story that I think embodies Jesus' understanding of evangelism in some ways. It's found in Luke 15, and it says, Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home and then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. That's an image of Jesus in that story. He's the shepherd. And he says, this is what I care about. Even one of all my sheep is gone and I want to go find them. That's what evangelist wants to do. They care about the lost sheep. There are great examples of evangelists in the Bible. There's one story um, in another part of the Bible called the book of John. And it says that one day Jesus went to a well. Of course, this is where you had to get your drinking water at the time. He gets to the well. He sits down. He's tired. His followers, his friends, go into the nearby town to get food. But a woman comes up. It says she was a Samaritan woman. And that's actually a big deal. Uh, Jesus was Jewish and his followers were Jewish, and Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. Uh, the Jews believed Samaritans had distorted their faith, and so they were really enemies in many ways. And so the Samaritan comes up, and Jesus asks her for a drink. And I'm just going to read bits of this story. And she says, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman, how can you ask me for a drink? He answered, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She says, sir, you've nothing to drink with. She asks all these questions. And he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
And then he starts telling her about her life, which has been complicated and messy. And it says that after this, she goes back to the town, and it says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay. He stayed two, to, two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know this man is the savior of the world. That's a great evangelist. Note that she had no sandwich board that she didn't actually know much of anything. What she knew is, I've met this amazing man, you gotta go see him. And, and they did, and they came and they, when they encountered Jesus, they believed. Evangelists can look like other things as well. In another part of the Bible called the Book of Acts, and this is stuff that happened after uh, Jesus died and went back to heaven, and then uh, rose again and then went back to heaven. We read that a man named Paul, who was a leader in the early church, is in a place called Athens. And it says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him, saying, him. Some of them said, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seemed to be advocating foreign guards, gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Arapagus, well, sorry, Apagus, oh man, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears. And Paul then stood and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an, an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and that's what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands, and he's not served by human hands. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else, and then he goes on to describe it. This is a different type of evangelist. He says he goes to this place where the locals are, and he reasons with them, and he teaches them, and then when he actually sees that they have this altar that's like, just in case we missed a god, because they have lots of god, they're like, this is to an unknown god, he uses what they understand. And he says, you know, you know there's gods you don't understand. Let me tell you about the true God that you've not yet met. And so he reasons with them. He is an evangelist. Now, I know not all of you are from Mount Hamilton, so you won't know some of these people. Some of you will know them. Maybe if you're here, you might not know them. But let me tell you about some of the evangelists in our midst. Uh, an evangelist that comes to my name, mind is Diane King. She's not here today. She'll be glad not to be here while I talk about her. So now I can say lots. So Diane, for example... <laughs> has brought many people to Mount Hamilton. She's always inviting people. This summer, we had summer camps. Diane shows up the first day, she's like, oh, sorry I'm late, I had to find a second van because all nine kids didn't fit in mine. <laughs> she only has three kids. <laughs> only two of them were coming to camp. She brought seven kids to camp. Friends of friends. A couple years ago, when my husband was celebrating his 40th birthday, this is the second 40th birthday party story I've used in this series, uh, we had a friend from our neighborhood over. When we got there, Diane had met him a couple years ago. I walk into the kitchen, and Diane's invited him to church the next day. And I'm listening to her go, oh, you've never been to Leanna Dallas' church. Oh, you have got to go. And then later she's like, I got him coming now. He might come tomorrow, so let's just keep our eyes open. That's an evangelist. I think of Sandy McDonald. 
who is here. Uh, I think Sandy has the best stats for inviting people to Alpha. In fact, a couple of people are here that Sandy has invited to Alpha in the last few weeks. And so last year, I think you had seven people you invited to Alpha? She doesn't even remember. I believe at one point we counted a third of the people in the room Sandy had invited. I think of Jamie, who dedicated his children today and was up playing drums, who wherever you see him, he loves to tell people about Jesus. And I remember a small group we were in a couple years ago. He was asking us to pray because in his job he's a salesperson and he'd met someone in his sales that had a, a different faith background and he had brought them a Bible and he was talking to them about Jesus and he was sharing this. And then we were talking about these fivefold gifts and we were like, Jamie, you're an evangelist. He's like, no, 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 no. And I was like, so has anyone else in the room recently been like, I met someone at work and then I brought them a Bible? And the whole room was like, no, never. And he was like, really? So you may be an evangelist if, and they are all very different people. When you are excited about something, everyone knows it. So maybe you haven't really seen this in uh, your life in terms of Christianity yet, but you might see an inkling if you're one of those people that when you found a restaurant or a new brand or a good sale, everyone in your life knows about it. You have got to come to this. And they convince you to do it. If you love apologetics, apologetics is the um, sort of the reasoning of Scripture, so it's using reason to explain how Scripture and God make sense. You might be an evangelist if you're often the social convener, right? If you're often the one that when people get together, they're all getting together, and you've invited seven other people. If you've ever been invited to Dying Kings, by the way, you're not going to be the only one there. Heads up. You're going to get there. There's going to be ten other families. Just so you know, if anyone, those of you who have been there are nodding. Yes. Social conveners. If you notice new people at church and you welcome them, if you're comfortable engaging people of other cultures or backgrounds that are different than yours or who speak other languages, maybe you've been told your personality is contagious. People love to be around you. If you love connecting people to resources that help them succeed, oh, let me, I heard you're looking for a job. Listen, I'm going to introduce you to my friend. I hear they're looking for someone. Or I know that you're looking for this new program. I heard of the school that has it. You love helping people in that way. If you have a burden for people to know Jesus, if you often invite people to church, and frankly, if you can look around and see people that you've invited here. So to use the names I meant, the Fresnel family is here because Diane invited them. And there are people here right now because Sandy invited them, including Pat, who's on the end of a row. There's people here because Jamie invited them. And the Willets are here because Kat and Will invited them. If you can look around, you're like, oh, maybe I am an evangelist. Evangelists are not just people with the street signs. They're not always the ones who are standing up preaching a big sermon. They're not ones that know all the answers and can give all the explanations. Some people say, I'm not an evangelist. I'm no good at explaining. I just invite them. But evangelists gather, and we need evangelists because how else would the good news be shared? It's a story worth telling. That's what it said in the passage I read at the beginning of the service. In Romans, it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It says, how will people hear if no one's sent? How will people know if no one preaches? The feet of an evangelist, the legs, they're beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Now, where then could you use these gifts? Well, within the church, I've already mentioned Alpha. We do Alpha each winter. And this is a program that explains the basics of Christianity. It's a great fit for evangelists. Evangelists often make great teachers because they're good at apologetics. They're good at teaching us about evangelism, teaching us about apologetics. 
Evangelists love missions work, both locally and broader than that. Often, if someone wants to plant a church, an evangelist is gung-ho to be there. Anyone within a church, evangelists do make their, it makes great sense for them to sit on our hospitality team, which welcomes people, or our property team. Now, that might seem like a weird place for an evangelist, but think of the property team. They decide how we lay a building out and how to make the space hospitable to people. That's a logical place, and how to expand a building when we need to, because maybe we're getting pretty full. But I also want to say that we also need to be careful to make sure that we make space in the schedule of our evangelisms to get out of the building, because evangelists are best used when they're out making relationships. And so we don't want them to always be caught up in things that will keep them from being able to do that as well, because that's where they'll come alive. I think sometimes churches struggle with empowering evangelists, because the things we do within the church don't always make space for that. Sometimes I think if we just give an evangelist, and actually we've done this, here's a $50 gift card to Tim Hortons. Go, take people out. We would see a lot of payback on that. Now, each week we've been looking at challenges that our different gifts may come with. Now, for a couple of weeks we did a handout with this on it, and then the handout disappeared because Leslie was off. Um, so a couple people, which was very nice, were like, I've missed the handout. And I was like, oh, you read the handouts. That's so nice. So I do have the handout at the back today for the last three weeks with the challenges and the prayers. So there's about 40 of them. If any of you want it, you can grab it on your way out. But let me tell you some of the challenges, if you're like, I think I'm an evangelist, that you might face and how to address them, or that you might recognize that others have. The first one I've called middle finger syndrome. Forgive me. Now, it's ironic, I think, that the evangelist is represented by the middle finger, because it gathers, but of course we know the middle finger is often one that quite turns people away. And admittedly, sometimes evangelists end up doing more of the second than the first. Instead of gathering, they push people away like the guy at McDonald's. And sometimes we can get so arrogant in our evangelism and our own need to do that that we can even say things like, well, you know, it's just my job to tell it. And if they're offended, that's, that's not my issue. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, we were living in our first house, not the house we're in now, and we actually knew our neighbors quite well. And a couple of them were ones that we were praying for quite a lot, and we'd had really ongoing relationships with them, and they were antagonistic to church. And in fact, one of our neighbors had said, why do you send people to people's doors early on a Saturday morning? And now you don't want to go, those aren't actually us. Like, those are, <laughs> like it gets lumped together, right? So one day, early on a Saturday morning, one of these well-meaning people knock on our door and starts telling me, you know, I'm here, here's the book, here's all this. And I kind of say, well, you know, I'm actually a minister and, and all this. And she's like, okay. Um, and then I say, but can I ask you a favor? Like, you know, we're kind of... You're kind of saying we're on the same team here. I said, listen, like this house and this house, I know them really well, and I've been praying for them a long time, and I've had a lot of conversations with them about God. And if you could skip their houses, because they've told me that it really bothers them when people knock on their door. And she goes, but what about when Paul said to go and knock on people's doors? Paul never said to go and knock on people's doors. That's not it. <laughs> and I'm like... Well, I just, I said, I don't really think that's effective. So I, I think you're actually going to turn them off instead of actually making this more effective. And she's like, well, that, that's what I'm here to do today. And I was, then I'm getting annoyed. Kind of like the guy McDonald's. I'm like, hold on, hold on. She starts walking away. I'm like, hold on, hold on, come back. I was like, so just to be clear, you, I just told you that if you go to those doors, you'll turn them off and you'll do more harm than good. And you're going anyway. She's like, well, that's what I came to do today. And I'm like, hold on, hold on. So to be clear, 
Do you hear what the problem with this story is? That's middle finger syndrome, right? I'm not actually concerned with how it's received. I'm just concerned that I do my job for Jesus. And so how do we respond to that? I actually saw her go and get in the car, and I could hear her talking. I'm like, ooh, she's praying against me. But anyway, <laughs> I think the response to that, as I said here, is compassion and empathy, I would add, being able to look at someone and thinking, what do they really need to hear? And we live in a culture that's antagonistic to this stuff, right? And it's true we should not be ashamed to share, but we can share it in a way that will be received well, as best we can. Even if people will reject it, maybe even if it's done in love and it still comes across with difficulty, ask ourselves, are we showing compassion? There's, we need to learn, we need to seek wisdom, we need to learn about our culture, we need to know people, we need to learn how things sound to others, and we need to seek God's wisdom. I think the next challenge is kind of collected to middle finger syndrome, and that's shame. And so because we know so many times evangelists can be lumped with that, sometimes our evangelists, I've talked to them, they feel embarrassed. They don't want to have that gift, because we don't, that word has gotten negative connotations sometimes. And they feel embarrassed to have that call on their lives. And I just want to say, let God speak to you about how he's made you. How lovely are the feet of those, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. God does not see you and does not want you to be ashamed of how he's made you. Another thing that can be a challenge is that as an evangelist, you have the ability to convince people of things. Well, right? You can talk someone into going to your favorite restaurant. <laughs> you can also talk someone into bad parts of faith if you haven't taken time to learn. So you can sell ideas that aren't good for people, or you can convince people to join in things that they don't really want to do. You gotta get into this committee, it'll be amazing, it'll be amazing. And maybe it's not actually a good fit for them. And so we need to spend time learning and spend time with God to be sure that as we're sharing that, we're sharing what is actually um, God's will and we'll ha we have that sense of truth. Um, the last one is that it can be a challenge for evangelists uh, to forget the phase after bringing them in, right? I got them here, good. Done. And there's churches that are almost have that whole ethos, right? Evangelistic churches that are just like, as long as we get them in the door, we get them dunked sometimes in the water, then we're done. And we can forget the steps that need to come after that, that people need to grow as disciples and they need to be cared for. And so that's why if you're an evangelist, it's really valuable to be connected to a community like this or like another church where you belong to a community that can join you in those next steps. But I assure you, evangelism can be done well. It's evidenced by all of you here that have been brought to Christ by people who loved you. God has gifted you. And when you have a gift, it is of God. It won't always go well. Of course it doesn't. But God is using you. You are sharing good news. And evangelists, we need you to share it. But for those of us who aren't evangelists, we also need to love our evangelists. And I think one of the ways that we love them is by completing that piece of the puzzle. We've talked about how we're all part of the body, how there's these five kind of big overarching gifts, and there's gifts within those as well, and how we need actually all parts of that body to do its job well. So an evangelist brings someone, for example, to church or to our community, or maybe to camp or what have you. They need the shepherds who are going to encourage and love them and be there for people. And they need the teachers who are going to teach them about what it means to follow Christ. And they need the apostles who begin ministries where they can go reach out, right? We need the person who started Alpha so Sandy can invite seven people to Alpha. <laughs> we need the prophets who will guide them in truth. So we need all those people to come alongside and say, I'll step in. Thanks. Thanks for gathering them in. We got this. We're on it. We need to be the whole body. 
Evangelists, however, I want to say to you today that I hope you'll keep it up. Because we have a word that needs Jesus, and we have a world that needs good news. And we have a world full of evangelists. Some of them are just spending their time selling keto instead. <laughs> or they're selling another fitness program. Or they're selling a great book. Or they're selling a self-help idea. You're, you're being evangelized all the time. The question is, are we going to evangelize with what can truly bring people hope? So we need you to be our legs and our arms evangelists, to go out and not be ashamed, like that shepherd going out to find that sheep and to bring them in because that's what God does. That's what God wants you to do. That's how God made you to be. And we're so thankful. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for the ways you have gifted the body. We thank you that you call us all to different things. And we thank you for this gift. And we pray that you would use it well among us. I'm just going to invite us as we get ready to sing to take a few moments again of silence and to reflect on if God has said something to you today. Have you realized you're an evangelist and maybe you just haven't thought that title? You still don't have to use the words. How can you use that well? Is there shame of which you need to let go? If, if you're not and you recognize that in someone else, maybe God is calling you to encourage that person 